Welcome to Addiction to Recovery. Our purpose and passion is to bring you not only the science of addiction, but also the patient perspective and how the two relate. Well, welcome back, everybody. Hi. <laughs> oh, you didn't say it like I, normal. I didn't say it like normal. I just wanted to change things Hi, up. Hi, everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get repetitive with this. Anyway. By um, episode 40, you're changing. Is it episode 40 already? I think it is. Wow. That's, oh, a, that's a lot. So we have a guest today, as you can hear. Um, <laughs> um, I, it's a funny, I'm just going to open this with a funny story because uh, I was in treatment in uh, 2018 where I met um, Brian who was a recovery coach at a long-term faith-based treatment center. And the funny thing was, is that, um, you know, I was in a cloud, uh, obviously early on in the, in this program. So I met you and I did a, but then one day we were walking through a park cause we got to go out of the building and we went to a park around by the that river. Sounds so romantic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm, Brian's walking ahead of me and I'm like, wait a minute, I know this guy. And I, it dawned on me that uh, during my addiction, I was selling everything on Facebook Marketplace. You know, everything I had worth anything, I was selling, and including stuff that wasn't mine. I won't go there, but I <laughs> had this TENS unit for a back issue, and uh, this guy messaged me, said he works at a treatment center, and I almost didn't even return that because I didn't want anything to do with it. But It, it took a couple times to get yeah, you to respond right. back. Especially <laughs> when you said, meet me at the treatment center. I was like, uh, you're like no. This sounds like a setup yeah, from my is, parents. Oh, yeah, and when you're doing meth, you really are paranoid. But I, yes. I fi we finally met up at your house, and I sold you this TENS unit. And uh, obviously, you were doing well at the time. And I, I, I said, Brian, Brian, do you remember me? I mean, this is after I've been there for two weeks. And you're like, yeah. what? And then, you know, then we talked about it. So that's a funny story. Anyway, Brian. Brian, what uh, was your perspective of that whole event? Like, okay, so here's this dude. He sells this to you. You probably know what's going. Did you know he was a person in recovery at this point well, when you I, sold I, it? I kind of figure because he said he worked. Well, yeah, oh, that's, that's the, true. That's the interesting part is when, because uh, uh, I was having back pain, and part of my story is, pain related addiction but uh i was getting this back pain and i seen the tens unit and i'm like oh i want to get that well after multiple uh conversations back and forth a request for a response we finally set a time uh where we would meet and it was uh by my house but i didn't want to be too close to the house so i met right by the church smart <laughs> yeah, good yeah. idea yeah yeah, and so uh, I'm I'm hanging out at the corner by this church, waiting for this guy to come. And yeah. uh, as soon as he rolls up, I'm like, I felt it. Like yeah. I could feel that he was under the influence yeah. and struggling with addiction. And so I started to talk about uh, my job and my own recovery, and and how 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 uh, I wasn't always where I was. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, and I, I could see that it was an uncomfortable conversation <laughs> for you. The least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, yeah, but when you brought it up at this at this treatment center, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no accidents. Yeah, right. And I don't think that you had known it when you saw me come into to the program. Um, Not at I all. I think until I said that, you 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 know you finally realized, oh yeah, I remember that. So that was just a very <laughs> funny, um, and it was like it was like a God moment, you know, and and it kind of brought us closer together, you know, because you know even though I really enjoyed what you were doing as as a recovery coach. You know, it kind of made me more drawn, you know, to listen to you. The so. fact that you bought it from right. someone knowing that, although this was a legit TENS unit. This was. wasn't one you yeah. stole. No. Was, <laughs> right. No. I mean, no, and he shared that he had had a back problem too. Yeah, which was yeah. true. And, uh, I'm just, yeah. And, we, had and, a, we had quite a conversation in a short period. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I was talking probably a million miles an hour too. I was just going to say so. that, but... Anyway, but I understand what you mean that that connection just yeah. uh, uh, familiar. It's familiarity, whether we know knew each other or not, just that interaction. Right. And it, it was a safe interaction. And it so. goes a long ways, you know, especially that trust. You know, it's like you feel like, you know, somebody, you know, even though you met him for like two minutes, you know, so yes. anyway, yeah. um, well, uh, I, I'm just thankful, thankful for you to come on. And we've been we've been trying to make this work. And now we, we got you on. So uh, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, Go I'm ahead, Heather. Why don't you, you haven't been able to talk much. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I promise he's had only coffee. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just excited because Brian's on. It kind of was like this with Ralph, too. I, I, oh, my gosh. No, Ralph, it was way different because yeah. we were in person. Like, yeah, right. I was, That's right. I was having to put, like, 
walls up in there. I'm like, you can't hold his hand, Josh. <laughs> Sorry. It just feels so good to be in recovery now and be around you guys and actually have a good attitude, you know, because when I was around you before, I probably didn't, you know, so well, anyway. The cool part is when you discover your own worth and value. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like I have something to offer, which you did. By and I think it's great that I was I've been invited onto this process. So well, thank you. Take Brian. it away, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So clearly, Brian, we know that you are a recovery coach of some type. You worked at this previous treatment facility, and we're gonna just for the listeners' sake. And this is pretty typical if you've listened to the podcast for a while. We typically do somebody's story, and then what they do now. Although we have Eddie coming back, and it's backwards. But right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so let's, we kind of parts about your story. Let's go back. So can you just kind of give us a little bit of a, obviously you've been affected by addiction. So, so kind of what does that look like to you or what part of your story do you want to start with? Because sometimes people are comfortable saying I was born on a rainy day. And sometimes people are like, this is why it started and when it started. So kind of where you're comfortable. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty pretty much comfortable in every area but I think I think for me just uh, I try to share share some of the raw stuff just so that uh, people and listeners can know that it's safe to to be ourselves and to share to share that hey we we've experienced pain and difficulty and uh, and we can survive that too so for me for me it was uh, uh, that I had several different intersections in my childhood that I believe played a huge role in in becoming and in addiction and getting addicted to drugs and that first one is uh, growing up in poverty mm-hmm. and uh and i looked back and I, I didn't know it until i was at the grocery store i don't think i think i think i was around four or five years old some of my first memories uh and i got to pick something out that day with my mom and as we were in the checkout line and she was she pulled out this uh look i thought it was a checkbook i didn't really know but it was all these different colored coupons and getting ready to pay for our stuff and then the guy and his son were behind us, and the guy said to his son, "Well, so and so, it looks like we're not just paying for our groceries today." And Ouch. I remember, I remember thinking, "What the heck?" And the boys is like, "What do you mean by that, Dad?" And his dad says, "Well, uh, these people can't afford their own groceries, so uh, they have to get benefits from the state that we pay for." And I felt so small. I bet. And I and I always struggled. I already, I always struggled feeling different. Uh, knowing today that I'm on the uh, I'm on the spectrum for autism, uh, but I didn't know that when I was younger. I knew that I struggled with uh, speech. I struggled with uh, all kinds of different things. And looking back, at, every time I uh, looked back, and I was always trying to figure out what brought me to addiction. Uh, I always thought uh, around four years old, I was also abused by a babysitter, mm. and uh, and so I always put the blame all on that that particular part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doing trauma therapy and uh, in this round of recovery, I started thinking if I want to get to the next level of recovery and have the fullest life and reach my potential, I have to address some of that pain. And in doing so, um, I was sitting there and realized that the, the biggest the biggest trauma for me in my life, it wasn't that abuse from the babysitter. It was uh, the impact of an uninvolved father. Mm, and so... Sure. I, I remember that first couple of times in therapy, all of a sudden I could remember that from the time I was three years old, uh, the very first thing I did and the very last thing I did each day was try to call my dad to talk to him. And, you know, I, I, I called him so often and wanted his approval and wanted to feel like I was important uh, that that number still burned into my head all these years later, 218-546-5313. <laughs> and and that was the. Have trauma. you tried calling that recently just to see who answers? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that's, that was a that, long that time number, ago, right? Okay, man. If that's that, your phone number, somebody please email us. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that was the number to the Woodkick Inn bar. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay, gotcha. And and my dad was the owner, one of the owners of that oh, place. Okay. And so, uh, um, and I also look back and 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 growing up, I struggled with weight, you know, so getting picked on all the time and trying to fit into groups and. I ended up having an, a name change, so it wasn't always Brian Andrews. It used to be Brian Luby. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's biological last name is Andrews, and and so after years of getting called Tubby Luby in school, I was ready for a change when I got clean and sober, and oh, so I took my dad's last name. Gotcha. But it was all kinds of little things g- going along. But uh, the other part is uh, uh, alcohol 
was socially acceptable in my life. Every 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 family gathering, every holiday, uh, every birthday and event, there was always alcohol, and and that was my first that was my first uh, 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 introduction to a substance was as uh, walking around. And eight years old is when I took my first drink. Okay. Uh, eight years old, I, I, I walked from table to table at a family reunion, and uh, it was green Heineken bottles. And I would walk around and take a drink, and the parents would, or the adults would just say, hey, don't do that. That's mine. <laughs> and so I would go to the next one and the next one. And you see, it gave me a little thrill. I looked back, and it was that risky behavior, and it was also attention, right? Exactly. And, and so um, uh, I continued on. And and trying and again, I had a weekend warrior dad that was full of broken promises, and and he was he he's a good guy that did what he could what he knew how to do right as a parent. So I have no uh, no resentment and no fault against him. But uh, uh, one of the things that I grew up anytime I did good in school, anytime I got my report card, uh, you either you guys want to guess what I did when I got my report card? Called your dad. Oh well, yeah, well that was a for sure. You got that right. But what what did I do to go celebrate? Good grids. To drink. <laughs> I went to the bar. Yeah. Uh-huh. My mom would bring me to the bar with my brother. Uh, we'd have pizza. I could drink all the Mountain Dew I wanted. We'd get a handful of quarters, play the jukebox, shoot pool, play pinball, and I got to hang around. And as I looked around back then, uh, I still remember today, I looked at every person. Every person in there looked like they were having a great time. Mm-hmm. They had that connection. Uh, uh, just that, just that uh, looking like they were just at peace and having, having fun. And I wanted that feeling too. Okay. I'm going to, so, I'm going to, can I ask a couple questions? Yeah. Um, one is like back to your dad a little bit. Um, and, and then the second one's going to kind of be on perception just cause you just used that word. And yeah, okay. So with your dad, you know, you said at one point, you know, uninvolved absent dad, you'd call to get this attention and all that. And man, boy, can I relate to every word you've said about that? Um, <laughs> my dad and I have like made up now like 40 years later. So we're good. But, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, you know, and then you made a comment about, you know, he was doing the best he could with what he knew how to do as a dad. At what point were you able to say that? Because obviously when you're a kid, there's this hero complex. I always called a pedestal thing. And then at some point there's this crumbling, thus the substances and, and all the chaos, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then there's this point that it sounds like you're at now where you're able to say, looking back, okay, what do you think it took to get to that point where you can now say, okay, he was doing the best he could and almost like heal from that pain that that child felt? Yeah, so uh, I, I didn't get the same path that you, got, you were able to take. In 1994, uh, uh, less than a month before my birthday, uh, I was told I needed to hurry up and get to the hospital oh, after no. uh, my brother and I were out shooting. And uh, we got to the hospital, and as I walked in there, I heard some people talking about uh, heart attack. Some people were laughing. Some people were crying. And uh, eventually, we all got, all immediate family got called into a, a room. And uh, at that time, they were talking about sodium levels and different levels of uh, this and that. And and I remember at that time, I, a little bit, my ears started to ring a little bit. I felt my mouth go a little bit dry. And then what the doctor said is, what I'm trying to say is that there's nothing more that we can do for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, now my ears started ringing a lot. Sure. And uh, they said, we're going to let one person at a time go say their last goodbyes. So 14 years old, I raise my hand and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. And they bring me back to the emergency area, move the curtain, and there lies my dad on the table. Oh. And and I remember running because there was all those things I wanted to talk to him about, right? Of course. All the things that you just asked me about. I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of things I wanted to ask why about. Uh, but as I ran down the hallway away from that room, my the scope of vision started closing in and the ringing got louder until it was all a solid tone and blackness. And I thought, man, that was just a really bad dream. But when I woke up, there was the doctor. Right. Uh, what, I, what I learned, you guys, is that uh, my dad's heart exploded. Uh, he was a, not only alcoholic, but he had a, a methamphetamine problem, a cocaine. He used all drugs. Mm-hmm. And that particular day was August, and it was 100 degrees outside, and they were building a walk-in cooler outside. And when he came inside to take a break, and probably probably maybe use some more chemicals, I don't know the whole story, but he went in the back room and splashed a bunch of cold water on his face. 
And when that cold water hit him, uh, according to the story, it kind of gave him a shock, and uh, and, he, and then he dropped dead right there in the back room of the bar. Wow. So how old were you at that point? I was 14. Oh, so. Yeah, and so I learned about my dad's addiction after that uh, within the next couple of months. So, and yeah, you said so, you, you didn't get to have, like, that. I mean, now my dad and I have come a long way, but there haven't been a lot of in-depth conversation. We've had some. Right. But a lot of it's just to me, Ken appreciating what he did or why he did things he did, understanding yeah. it now as an adult looking back, rather than him saying, I did this for this reason. You know, like I had to kind of understand it, much like it for sounds sure. like you have. How was that process for you, though, especially not being able to talk to him? Yeah, so um, we made a, we, uh, my friends and I made a pact to never use drugs. Well, we know that's not what happened. And so uh, I had judged my dad, like, why did you choose these drugs over top of me? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? I don't ever want to end up like you, and I want to always be the the best dad I can ever be. And I'll never, I'll never put my kids second. But uh, uh, without getting the story, uh, the end of the story in the front, but I, I, I was all those things, and then some. And then all of a sudden, I discovered that my dad was a person, right. and my dad was a person that was struggled with addiction. And, and trying to balance life while being addicted to drugs is, is not, not feasible. And priorities get scrambled, uh, which I lived and experienced and understood. And all of a sudden, my whole perspective of, of me thinking that uh, I wasn't good enough or that um, uh, my dad was uh, uh, always choosing something else in front of me, I understand addiction more than that today. And, uh, and instead, of, instead of having resentment, I have empathy uh, and respect because in my dad's death, he still teaches me lessons today. Hmm. That's powerful. Yeah, that, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's another, th- I mean, it's a form of forgiveness too. I mean, like, because, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of, because of that, you know, I, I was just, uh, giving a presentation yesterday about the importance of forgiveness and, and the fact that unforgiveness is such a perpetrator of recovery, you know, like it leads to the, the, relapses and if you can't get to that level how much it will haunt you and so i'm 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 assuming that that was you know that was huge you know through your addiction that 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 viewpoint and how it was very different then than it is now and how you used it as totally and it fueled the sickness exactly yeah i mean you used it as an excuse to continue and 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 it's pain you know that that's the thing is it's pain that you're trying to mask Yep. Oh, all day long, all day long. So, Along with the identity struggle and, and the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Heather. Um, so tell me about, you know, your mom then. Sounds like, you know, you were yeah. with her then. What was her influence then or presence or when you look back at your childhood? And and this, I understand, can be difficult because my mom was amazing. I just didn't realize. My mom died when I was in high school. So I have that same part, just different parent. Um. Right. I didn't realize how amazing she was until after that or until the last year when she was sick because I was so focused on my dad. So can you explain your relationship with your mom then? Yeah. So I'm a mama's boy through and through. And uh, I wouldn't have been able to say that in school, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I I could say it clear as a day now. Um, uh, my My mom was consistent, steadfast. And, uh, um, you know, she was always home. So my parents were separated. I think that's important for everybody to know, too. So there was never a point where my mom and my dad were together in my life. Because right after I was born, they were already separated. And so, uh, but she was always, always, uh, always there. You know, and, and uh, over time, I, it, I had created a, this idea in my mind uh, of, that I had, a, I had a, this great life growing up. And then when I got clean and I started doing all the all the self work, all of a sudden I'm like, well, what the heck happened? My, my parent, my mom, my stepdad, they've changed so much. Mm. What the heck? Well, they didn't change. I was the one that had changed. Um, and so then all of a sudden I'm fight, I'm battling a new resentment. Like uh, I, I was as much as she was there, I was very much alone. I felt very much alone, and uh, um, and it was more more mental. Uh, mental than it was you know reality sure um 
Uh, still to this day, if I'm struggling, I can call my mom. Doesn't matter what time, day or night. Uh, but she also, I used my dad's death against her in a lot of different ways uh, to try to get my way. And I always, always wanted to say I wanted to move in with my dad because my mom held fast lines, like no, no drugs. I might have been exposed to alcohol, uh, family gatherings and stuff like that, but she was not, it wasn't about me using substances. Right. And she wanted me to do good in school and she wanted this. And, uh, and I just look back and, and, uh, I'm thankful and grateful that she had rules and boundaries for me, or there's a good chance today that I wouldn't have been alive because I would have ran too far the other way. Yeah. So. So then, you know, you said you and your, you made a promise with your friend, you were never going to use drugs at 14 ish. What happened? Yeah. So I had, I had drugs in a category. So I was thinking cocaine, methamphetamines, uh, you know, hallucinogenics, street drugs, uh, Mm -hmm. illegal prescription drugs. I had them all over here, but I had alcohol in a different spot Mm -hmm. because it was okay. It wasn't illegal. Right. And so, um, uh, I could keep drinking because it wasn't a drug. It was my idea. Um, and so we continued to drink, uh, and, and then all of a sudden I started drinking for other reasons. Right. And, uh, as we got a little bit older, we, my friends and I, we'd always go out fishing, ice fishing. Anytime we're ice fishing, we're definitely going to be drinking too. We stay the whole weekend there from four, from the time my dad died all the way, all the way in, I guess all the way through school. And then all of a sudden it went from just having those drinks to, uh, every, to studying for school. If we got a question wrong while we were studying, we'd have to take a shot. You know, it was just, <laughs> we're talking, it was, you know, that's that, that's that youthful uh, chaos and craziness, right? Yeah. Uh, but we're out ice fishing this one time and, and we're drinking, we're having a great time that we thought we were anyway. And, and, and a guy shows up on a snowmobile. I knew him from school. Uh, he, 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 uh, knocked on the door cause there was a light on in there and he said, Hey, is there anybody here that, uh, um, has money? I, they can borrow me for gas. I'm almost out of gas on my stolen bill. And we were just kind of like, Oh, I know you. And I know that you're, we're kind of, a, I was a judgy, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're one of those, uh, druggies from school. So, and then he said, well, uh, I'll give somebody, uh, uh, somebody's got $5. I'll give him a nickel bag. And I'm like, what the heck is a nickel bag? I was so, <laughs> I was so naive, yeah, right? right? And uh, I'm like, what the heck's a nickel bag? And uh, and he pulled out this uh, cellophane from a cigarette wrapper, and he's like, this is a nickel bag. And I'm like, what the heck is that on the inside? That's not a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, anyway, uh, I said, you know what? I, I'll borrow you $5. The core of who I am is somebody that wants to help people. And mm-hmm. it's, gotten, yeah. it's gotten me into a lot of trouble, too. But uh, this is the first instance. I'm like, yeah, I want to help you. So I gave him $5. Well, he ended up uh, saying thanks, and, and he put that little cellophane up on the shelf on the wall, and, and then he left. Well, uh, after we were up drinking a little while longer, I looked at my friends. and I said, you know what? Well, maybe we should try that one time, just this one time, all of us. We all do it together, then it's not like we're breaking the pact, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, right? Anyway, everybody's like, okay, let's do it this one time. And I remember doing it the one time. And, uh, and what it did for me was, uh, all those struggles and mental things that felt like, uh, I always had to be somebody else. All of a sudden that went away. And, uh, and I was just like, this is the perfect world. And this was felt like 12, 12 hours to get across the lake, but what substance uh, was it, Brian? This was, this was marijuana. Yeah. Okay. Marijuana. Okay. Yeah, for marijuana, uh, I was, I was 16. I had my driver's license and that was when I got introduced to marijuana. Okay. Uh, by the next day, uh, I thought, you know what, I'll, I want to get some more of that because I told a couple other people that I had done it for the first time, and they were like cheering me on. Oh, you finally did it! <laughs> and uh, uh, can you get more? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll go. I'll go check. So I went and asked the guy, and he's like, "Well, you have to give me a ride to go get it." And so I give him a ride, and then he introduces me to a guy that he's getting it from. And uh, uh, the next time. I just went over to the guy's house on my own and he, he shares with me, well, if you, if you get, if you uh, get this much, uh, you can get yours for free. If you give, you know, sell some to your friends. And I'm like, well, shoot, that's a, that's a, a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so that's what I started doing. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling this, uh, this sense of power, importance, uh, control, uh, all these things that I wanted to feel growing up. All of a sudden, in one day, I felt I had it them all. 
Yeah, yeah you and, had a lot of worth and value at that point. Yeah, acceptance. For all the wrong reasons, but yeah. All the wrong reasons, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and it was it was all all false beliefs. And uh, and so I, I I continued to grow in that area. And at one point in time, my mom said to me, are you using drugs? And I was so offended that she would even ask me. I said, oh, well, if you're going to ask me stuff like that, I'm moving out. So 16, I, I pack a go bag and I go to a friend's house where they're all using and nobody has any rules and and so I went down in the basement and have you ever have you ever been in those basements that are just not for living right yeah it's like they got sewage coming up and it yeah. stinks and it's damp and uh well down in in this dungeon in a corner there was a little room with a bed that had nasty stains all over it and the walls well that was my room that's where I got to stay in mm. and uh Eventually, after a few days, uh, I started smelling that smell on me everywhere I went, including school. And I was like, "Okay, well, time to time to go back home." Um, but I continued to continue with this uh, marijuana, and in the process uh, would be the next level. So, if you guys have any questions in that section of my life, did did that? Were you? How was your school at that point? How was your like? Did you stop going? Was there was there major problems there, or was, did it not affect your your schooling? No, no. At the time, at the time, because when my dad died, uh, well, the other thing I wanted to do is uh, I wanted to do well for him in honor of him. As far as my academics went, see, uh, I still struggle with this today this sense of perfectionism and 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 trying to uh, do everything to the best of my ability in a, in a not healthy way at times right and a lot of times actually let's be let's be true yeah, right. yeah. but uh in that uh um my grades always were uh b's and sometimes a's sometimes c's uh but i maintained grades and i maintained I, my mom worked at the school so it wasn't like i if i huh. if i didn't show up uh well she would know. Yeah, <laughs> right. That helped. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I never wanted to disappoint my mom. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Right. It's, yeah. I wanted to, uh, I was making poor choices that ultimately would disappoint them. But if I could keep that a secret and live this uh, second life, right, uh, then it wouldn't be a problem. So, gotcha. yeah, it didn't work out so good. Okay. So um, we get through the, the that time of year. And you're, you're 16 at this point, you said? Yeah. Yep, sixteen. So and 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 on top of that, sorry, Josh. On top of that, I was getting a monthly death benefit from my dad. Okay, so I always had money. So you had money. That wasn't a problem, yeah. but you were still using the. You know, you were doing doing the selling so you could use for free, basically, yep. right? So. Yep, and then so, and more than that, even it was this what it what it gave me right yeah. internally, right? Yep, yep. That, yeah, that sense of acceptance or that need people yep. needed you. You know, yep, that, that, that was. That was very, that's a very addicting. I mean, people can be addicted to the life, you know. Yep, and, and, and that was the beginning stages of that for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it escalated from there. So why don't you just tell us how, you know, because I, like I said, people don't get into, you know, this type of addiction just through marijuana. So yeah. how did we go on from there? Because I know there's more to the story, but why don't you share that with the listeners? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, every 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 drug has a door that leads to another another experience, right? And so, uh, marijuana was that door for me. It was like I walked through uh, that door into a, a different world, and I was exposed to a lot of different people and different experiences. And uh, so, still trying to be who I am. And that was the wrestling match that I had throughout all of my addiction. Is uh, I still had core value system that was at war with my decision making. And, uh, and so, uh, again, uh, uh, just about my 17th birthday, I'm at a, I'm at a friend's house and we're all just hanging out. Everybody's drinking, everybody's smoking. And I had met this, this new guy, uh, in town and, uh, we'll just call him Bob. Anyway, Bob, Bob had just gotten released from prison. Uh, and I was really, uh, really intrigued by his story and his experiences and, and was drawn to that. And uh, he had he had gone to prison for arson, and he had a million different stories, and he was involved in a gang, and it was exciting, right? And uh, well, this particular day, he says, "Hey, Brian, uh, can you borrow me twenty dollars or twenty five dollars?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what for?" He's like, "I'll I'll share it with you when I get back." And I'm, again, that part of me that w- wants to help, 
right? Yep. Because it's, again, it's connected to all the other stuff. Uh, I give him the $25 and about 45 minutes later, all of a sudden here, here comes Bob walking through the door and he says, Hey, I said, Oh, you made it back. Good. And he says, yeah, come with me to the bathroom. And I'm like, bath. That's weird. What the heck? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was weird for me. It's like, just come on. And so I go in there, he shuts the door and he uh, pulls open one of the drawers and he pulls out this pink handheld mirror. And I'm like, what the heck? I said, we can just be out there. Everybody else is using. And he's like, he just doesn't answer me. I remember him just fidgeting. And then he pulls out this little paper bundle and his hands are kind of twitchy as he's trying to open it up. And, and he dumps this white powder out on the mirror. And, and, and the question I uh, have for you guys is, has there been any time in your life where somebody has jumped out from around a corner or a dark hall and scared you so bad that you felt that ice tingling down your spine? Yeah, I yeah, think I did it to sure. Heather yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I seen that powder hit the mirror, I had that same scared shock feeling going down my spine wow. and instantly had a multitude of images flying through my mind about my dad. See, cause I connected this to my dad's death mm-hmm. and, uh, um, uh, but then all of a sudden what happens to me, cause I've got a lovely creative brain is, uh, I was left with another question. And that question was, what was so important, what was so good about this stuff that I always came second? It must have been something magical. It must have been something absolutely impressive. Otherwise, I would have never, he would have never not called me back or right. never would have not shown up. Yep. And so I decided I'm, I got I to gotta check it out. Yep. And I did this, uh, and afterwards I found out that it was cocaine. And I waited, and I waited for this magic to happen, this wonderful experience, and nothing happened. Yeah, you guys want to guess what I did next? Did, did more. more. I gave him twenty-five more dollars and said, "Here, go get some more." <laughs> uh, you know, well enough was well enough in most people's lives, but not for me. No, right. And uh, and the next time he came back, it was I got high, and 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 that for me was all of a sudden all the pieces connected, uh, all all of the thoughts that I had came into focus. I could see paths. I could see opportunities, and. Uh, and the very and, and that same night we're walking down the street and doing all kinds of stuff that I'd never done before and just no care in the world. And oh school tomorrow, you know what? I'm not even gonna go. I've never missed any school. So tomorrow I'm gonna just skip school. Well, I had a little bit of that stuff left and see what I didn't share is that I got introduced to all my dad's friends and the bartenders from the bar that all did all this stuff and and so I'd been offered it a multitude of times, but I never said yes. I always said, nope, I don't do that. Well, uh, when I did it this time, it was almost like I had a badge. And I wanted to go around and tell all the guys that, hey, I'm one of you guys now. Yeah, you're in. And, and yep. And so I brought this little bit left and I said, hey, I got something I want to share with you. And, and so I went over and I shared it with them. And he's like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And, uh, uh, he said, the band's going to be playing at the bar on Friday. You should, you should come out. So did, did yeah. any of them kind of, you know, I get that you're bringing stuff there and be like, Hey, sweet. But did any of them like try to save you in a way? Like, Oh my gosh, here's so-and-so's kid now going down the same track after they just watched your dad. Did any of them kind of like do, I'm, I don't know, conscience or I yeah, they you try know and what? stop it's you. Que- it's a great question because it's part of that band story I'm getting ready to tell. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, so, uh, but it is a great question because everybody asks, everybody's always asked the same question, like, what the heck? Well, talk about great friends, right? Yeah. And so, anyway, uh, uh, the band was taking a break that night at the bar, and they said, hey, let's, let's run over here uh, during break. And uh, they said, come with us. So I went with, and. There were seven of us there, one of the members from the band and, and six other people. And uh, uh, the one everybody's talking and laughing. And uh, all of a sudden, one guy that was uh, had been really close to my dad says, how many people we got here? And uh, I see him using his finger, and he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He says, seven, all right. And he turns around, and, and he, I see him dropping this, open up this bag, and he's dropping rocks and powder on this steel plate. And... Uh, all of a sudden, somebody else says, no, no, not seven. There's only six. And uh, the guy stops what are you doing, and he turns around, and he says, one, two, three, four, five, six, plus me, that's seven. And the guy says, no, 
no, uh, Brian's not doing any. Huh? And the guy says, what? And he says, yeah, you guys, what, what happened to his dad? Uh, yeah. He's, he, he, he's not going to do any. So when we talk about peer pressure and, and, and I always like, I've never experienced peer pressure, but what I did experience is pressure within myself. Right. Mm-hmm. That was my peer pressure. Like what happens if I say no? And so the guy looks at me and says, well, you're an adult. What do you want to do? <laughs> Wasn't really an adult yet. Cause I was only 17. <laughs> uh, but he's like, you're old enough to make your own decisions. What do you want to do? And everybody's looking at me and I got the one guy who actually cares and uh, everybody else is inviting me to the table. And I said, well, yeah, of course I'm going to. And he says, all right, you're first. Mm. And I walked up to the table. Everybody's watching. And the one guy's shaking his head. I can still see it all play out. And and then I did it. And my whole face felt like it was on fire. And I'm like, what the, what the heck is this? Well, uh, it was my introduction to Crank that day. Gotcha. Or Smith. Smith. Yeah. Gotcha. I was just going to ask yeah. him, like, did I miss what he said it was? Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. That, that's a whole different ball game. I mean, right? I mean, my, that Coke. that Coke was one thing for me, but you know, like the crank, the methamphetamine, it, it 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 was something else, wasn't it? Yep. It made me feel like a superhero. It made me feel like uh, like I could do absolutely anything. Yeah. I could do anything. I could. I could. It didn't matter what it was. All of a sudden, uh, where the, my whole life, I thought that I couldn't. Right. Yep. Whatever it was, I couldn't. That's why I say change your language, change your life, because we we can, uh, but I never thought that in my past. But in that moment, I thought I can. You fill in the blank, I can. It doesn't matter what it is. Right, right. Superman. And uh, yep, for at least for ten hours. <laughs> yeah. And 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 then, <laughs> then all of a sudden, more. the next the sun came up, and it was the worst feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness. Well, I think I know where this guy lives. I know he lives in this apartment building. Uh, I know that there's uh, eight eight apartments there. Uh, I'm just going to go and knock on the doors. <laughs> oh, I find the right one. <laughs> you got a one in eight right? chance, right? Yeah. So I go up the stairs the next day, and my friends that were actually friends said I was really crazy. What are you doing? Anyway, I go up, and I look at the floor, and I see the, the door that has the most wear marks going to it because it was a wood floor. Uh-huh. And so the, the one had a lot of wear on it. And so I walked to that door, I knocked on it, the door opens, and here's the guy. He's like, oh, hey, Brian, what the heck's going on? And I said, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, last night and see if, see if we could figure some things out. And he's like, oh, come on in, come on in, come in here. So I come in, and, and he's like, yeah, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? And so I, I didn't know. I didn't know how much it cost. I didn't know how much it was. And. I said, oh, $100. And he's like, yep, I'll take care of that right now. And so he took care of me. Hmm. Well, fast forward a week, uh, a band's back in town, and I learned that uh, if I would have just spent another $25, I could have got, you know, $175 or $200 worth of drugs, Yeah. And in which I did. And then the next week, I learned that I could spend uh, $200 and get $350 worth of drugs. And then I learned that I could double that and triple that and quadruple yeah. that. So it wasn't yeah. just addicted to the drugs. It was the lifestyle. Yeah. It was the money. It was all the all the pieces in between that took total control over my life. So you rapidly went from dabbling with cocaine to well, it sounds like rapid from marijuana at sixteen to now at seventeen dealing yeah. meth at yeah. seventeen. Yeah. So did yeah. you? It, the, I graduated high school. So I so in that uh, in that I so. I, I was right before my 18th birthday when I got introduced to meth. And uh, um, I made it through because it was a weekend thing for a long time. Uh, I ended up uh, uh, making friends with everybody, right? Everybody. And uh, I ran for senior class president, got elected. <laughs> ran for homecoming king, got elected. Wow. Uh, uh, I was everybody's friend except for myself. Yeah. I didn't like myself. Right. Graduated high school. And uh, my classmates uh, uh, nominated me or voted that I would, was the most likely person to end up on TV. And it was because I was going to go to jail and, the, and they were going to announce it on TV. Really? Yep. So they yeah. predicted that. <laughs> yeah. So, so now, I mean, it, once you get to math, do you, did you recognize that you had an addiction? Did you know that? 
No, not 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 right away because I could do the weekend thing for quite a while. So, at what point um, did you, uh, you know, just tell us about when you realized I, I have an addiction problem, you know, or knowing knowing that, but not going to do anything about it. Yeah. So, what happened uh, ahead of that is that uh, I had gotten into selling a large large amounts, and the same guy that introduced me to it ended up setting me up, and I ended up got in a high speed chase and. Uh, ended up going to jail for felony fleeing and felony possession of a handgun. And uh, when I got to jail, I was like, what the heck? Well, eventually I got on probation. Uh, and Or no, during while I was waiting for court, I had to submit to UAs. And uh, I remember calling, and, and they called my number. And I was like, oh, uh, that I needed to report on Thursday to go take a UA. I'm like, okay, well, that gives me one more day, and... And so I, I waited the one more day, and then all of a sudden, uh, it was like the seconds lasted hours. And I'm like, okay, well, well I'm doing research and trying to figure out how much how much time does it really take? Uh, is there any ways to cheat it? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've realized that um, I'd made it, I made it to that UA uh, without using and and uh, gave a clean sample, uh, but the next time I couldn't do it. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm calling the heck. How can I lie about this? And at the time, my life really started spiraling. Uh, uh, during that period uh, from 18 to, to 22, because I turned 23 in treatment, but from 18 to 20, 22, uh, uh, in that summer, I, I had pulled over 36 times in one month. One month? Everything in one month. I got pulled over. They searched my vehicle. Um, uh, December 14th of 2000, I had the net six drug task force come and raid my house. Uh, and again, I'm just like, I play this tape and I'm like, how the heck did I get here? Uh, um, doing good in school, uh, senior class president, homecoming king, uh, got plans to go to, um, uh, far, uh, Moorhead state university to get an accounting degree. And in, in, in a short couple of years, it's like transformed in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Okay, the accounting degree is kind of ironic, kind of comical to me. Though. You knew more about accounting than you would have gotten in school. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. no degree. I'm sorry. Well, that was funny. That was another part of my story that I will attach onto that at some point in time. Is uh, yeah, I I thought you know uh, I was really successful in sales. It was just the wrong product. Exactly. Right. I went to school. I went to school and got a degree in sales and marketing. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. With a lot of interested. with a lot of street uh, experience and uh, <laughs> yes. you know yes. your yeah. your degree from the school of hard knocks. You're too. like teaching the instructors. No, no, this is way right. more effective. <laughs> right. Yes. So, you know, so sorry. Continue. I just want to share about that first trip to jail. You know, I I, I my mom had my mom had. Uh, um, had questioned me and questioned me and questioned me and and uh, she said, "Well, just want you to know if if uh, if you're uh, if I ever find any monies, I know you're using drugs. I'm hearing stories all over town about it. You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing the family. But if I ever find any drug money, I I will burn it." And one day, she showed up at the house that I was staying at, and I'm like, "Hey, mom, what's going on?" And she's like, "Where's it at?" I said, "Where's what at?" She's like, "Where's all the drugs at?" I said, "Why are you, why are you asking questions like that? Where are they at? I want some. Where are they at?" And I'm like, "What the heck are you? You know what? What are you talking about?" Oh, she says, "Oh, I know. You have all your peons out there selling it for you." I said, "Mom, what the heck are you talking about?" And then all of a sudden, I uh, that made the connection. See, uh, because I didn't trust where I lived, I had I had boxes full of cash that I stored at their house, mm. and uh, um, all of a sudden, I'm like. Oh my goodness! It was winter time too, so I shut the fireplace. They have a fireplace, and so I'm panicking. And I said, "You want to have this conversation? We'll go have it at your house." And uh, I went out the door. I got in the vehicle and and drove as fast as I could to get to uh, my parents' house. And jumped out of the out of the tr- truck and uh, slammed open the door. And my stepdad was there. And I said, "What the heck are you guys doing?" He says, "Nope, nope, Brian. If I I don't." Your mom, your mom's the one that found it. If I would have found it, I would have just left it alone. I'm sorry this is happening. And all of a sudden, I didn't see it then, but I see it today, that that my stepdad had fear in his eyes. 
because he didn't know what I was going to do. Oh, he didn't he didn't and, know and, what you were going to respond with, I suppose. Yeah, and I went back to the my bedroom that I grew up in, and here across the whole entire table in the bed was all this money stacked out and counted. And uh, I took pillowcases, and I started pouring it into pillows and grabbed all my clothes and everything, all my logs that I had stored there, too. And I, and I uh, threw it all in the truck, and as I was leaving, my mom showed up, and she looked at me, and I could see the, how much she had aged, and she said, don't come back here. And we walked, continued to walk in the house. Wow. And uh, when I first got arrested, you know, uh, I always believed that the only only person I'm hurting is myself. But that day, as I came out of the out of the jail into the courtroom in shackles, and and the courtroom was almost empty, there was one person in the courtroom, mm-hmm. and it was my mom. And she's got tears coming down her face, and I'm pointing at the door, telling her to leave, and she's shaking her head, telling me, "No, I'm not leaving you." Wow. And then I realized, you know what? I'm hurting the people that that care the most about me. Yeah, I mean the collateral damage with you know family is. It's something that I, I think that is, is un, undervalued when it comes to understanding the, the dangers of addiction and, and how destructive it really is. You know, we always see that, well, that person, the, the individual that's, you know, you can get a mugshot or you can get, but you rarely see the family. And like you said, you saw your mom, how much she aged. Um, yep. I think you see that often in, in mothers, especially, but fathers and, mm-hmm. and children and, and wives and husbands. Yeah. I mean, it, it's well, very damaging to the I, whole family. I think it's like on Parnell's episode when he's talking about being the parent and they're in a small town and we had asked him something about, you know, because he was always very open with the community about this is what my kids are doing. Um, I don't think, you know, to your point that you see – the person in in the jail or the mugshot or standing in court or selling or whatever, but you don't see the pain. And so you have all these judgmental stigmatized statements about that person. And I'm not saying the parents, yeah, there's probably embarrassment there and disappointment and all those things, but like they hurt from those same sentiments, even though they're not directly directed at them. And I think that's a good point that you the, the collateral damage is there. And I think it's easy for people to judge the parents and judge the loved ones. Like, yeah, what did you do to create this kid? Right, right. Yeah. Or how dare you stand by them? Look at what they're doing. Um, yeah. But this is where people don't understand unless you've been there. Yeah, and I remember. I remember. I, I got out. Of, I got out of jail that first time. I came home. I I, I swore off drug use. I swore off everything. And uh, I, every time there was an airplane or a helicopter, because they were involved in all this too, and I, I thought, no, they're coming for me again. I was tripped out, freaked out, uh, and then my phone started ringing, and then my phone started ringing some more, and finally I answered it, and somebody says, hey, can you help me? I'm like, oh, what's up? And we really need to get something. And I'm like, no, I'm done with that. They said, well, you don't have to use it, but you, you can get connected. And I'm like, well, I could probably connect them and then not use. Mm. Again, again, just so, so needing to be uh, needed by others, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, and then I relapsed. Yeah. And then I then I ended up at one point in time. Uh, I had fallen asleep for uh, I don't know a long time. My mom ended up having me brought to the hospital. Um, and at the time, uh, the doctors said, well. well we don't know what's going on with you, but you're sick, bad, and we're going to have to do a spinal tap, a spinal draw, whatever, to try to draw fluid to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so they said it's really painful. And so I'm laying there on the table, and they, they try to draw from the first spot, and they couldn't get any samples. And then they went to the next spot, and they said, we're going to have to try this again. So they went in, and literally, if you guys have had them, Josh, you probably had something with your back, but... We're talking like a number two pencil getting jammed into your spine. And uh, and finally, it's like, well, we're going to try this one more spot. So three times they tried to draw uh, spinal fluid and came up dry. And then he said to my mom, he said, could you leave the room for a minute? And then uh, the doctor wants to talk to Brian. So in walks the doctor. You guys want to guess which doctor it was? Uh, no guess. I, No guessing. Mm-mm. The same doctor that pronounced my dad dead. Oh, geez. oh wow, yeah. Okay. He walks in and he says, "Brian, uh, no bullshit. What what drugs are you taking?" And I said, "I've been taking all of them." He says, uh, 
you're going to end up like your dad if you don't change change the change the path that you're on and i remember how much that pierced me yeah and and uh he said i can help you get into treatment right now and i said well i, I don't need I, I don't need treatment i can stop on my own uh and i believed that and every day for i don't know 90 days i i read the bible to my little sister and then one day i got invited out and, uh, and it was a cycle again yeah uh, but yeah yeah and eventually it got to a spot in in 2000 uh 2001 i had several different open uh criminal cases and the old guys that were friends with my dad and friends with me they were like oh you know what uh since you've never had trouble before if if you want them to go lighter on you uh i would go to treatment so go in check yourself into treatment and and uh, they'll go easier on you on sentencing i'm like all right okay i'll do that but i was so afraid to go to the treatment center that I paid a friend to go in there to find out how to get in. <laughs> and so uh, he says, well, you got to go to the county and get a uh, Rule 25. I'm like, what the heck is a Rule 25? So we went, I eventually I went to this appointment. And I think it's hilarious because it's, it's uh, probably rings true with a lot of people uh, when they're asking you, oh, how much do you use? Uh, has anybody ever told the truth? In those well, here's yeah, right. the other oh, thing about uh, that. How much you use means legitimately nothing to people who actually know what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. And eight ball. Okay, well, who cut that how many times? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I tried to think of what, what numbers he, would he consider high? Because at the time, I'm using a quarter ounce of meth a day. Uh, um, and that was when the meth was... Old meth. Yeah, yeah, old meth. The old meth, right. Yeah. Yep. Right. yep. A quarter ounce a and day would be... <laughs> that's that's, that's a, lot. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just for perspective, yep. that's a lot. That's like using an eight ball today, right? Well, yeah, eight ball in the morning and an eight ball in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I had to use it to wake up in the morning. I had to use it to eat before I ate anything. I had to use it to get out of bed. I had to use it to have lunch. I had to use it to go to appointments. I had to use it to go to sleep at night. I had to use it for everything because my level of normal had just dissipated. So, so anyway, I do the rule twenty five, and I'm trying to think of a number. I'm like, I don't know. Um, uh, three to five grams a week. <laughs> I don't know. And they were like, do you really use that much? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Well, it's like that. Sometimes it's less, I guess. And he's like, well, you're going to need to do, uh, you're going to need to do 60 days inpatient and at least 90 days in a halfway house. And I thought my life had come to an end. Yeah. And uh, eventually I got into treatment and while I was in treatment, I was still uh, running this business and uh had a girlfriend at the time and and i had this picture painted in my life if i'm going to get clean and sober i need to i need to start a family <laughs> all right how many people said that if I, if I i had a wife and kids man i would settle right down right. oh you then know? you get heather's million dollar question in the exam room okay <laughs> you you're living your whole life sobriety for this what happens if they all get in a car accident and die and they're like that's hard <laughs> that's all that's, that's a pretty low harsh. blow question yeah. i'm like well Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yes, exactly. I have a family. Yeah so, <laughs> yeah, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, my girlfriend calls to tell me that she's she took a pregnancy test and she's pregnant. And I was just, I thought, I thought I was walking on top of the world. I'm getting my life turned around. I'm in treatment. I'm dealing with all this crap. And now I'm going to be a dad, just like I, just like I had dreamt about, right? And uh, we go to the doctor's appointment, and all that's all that's cool. We get to hear a heartbeat and this and that. Uh, and then right before my, uh, 23rd birthday, I was a visiting day. It was a Saturday and, uh, all of a sudden I'm waiting for her to show up. My parents show up, my brother shows up, uh, uh, friends show up and, uh, my girlfriend didn't show up. See, the week before she'd asked for money to buy her a car so she could get to her appointment. So I gave it to her and, uh, uh, finally I called and, you know, like that, um, codependent, uh, uh, um, messed up relationship uh, phone call with a with a phone card. You're punching in two thousand numbers over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that type of phone calling system. Yeah, so I was doing that. And finally, finally she picked up and she said, uh, uh, "Hi." I'm like, "Where the heck are you? It's my birthday." Uh, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, I'm not coming." And I'm like, "What do you mean you're not coming? Do you need a ride? I can get you a ride." You know, uh, um, she's like, "No." I just want you to know that um, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm like, what? How the heck did that happen? <laughs> and she said, I also want to let you know that I'm not pregnant anymore either. Oh, and that was just like, bam. 
Wow, that's All another. of a sudden, pop in the bubble. Yep. So was that, like, at what point is that your rock bottom then? Or is it not yet? No, that's my rock bottom my first time into treatment. The first time I got tried to get clean was in that time period. Uh, um, but what happened is I ended up, uh, uh, probably fast forward a little bit. Uh, I moved down. I went to the halfway house. Uh, I stayed down in Mankato. Uh, I went back to college. Uh, my life was looking great. I got my first real job making real money, uh, or legal money. And right. uh, at a, at a uh, Doan's pet food manufacturing place. And I was just happier than the cucumber. I'm, I'm sitting there sweeping and because uh, sometimes the, the bags get hung up on the conveyor belt, rip open, and the dog food lands on the floor. So I was down there sweeping up a mess that had happened earlier in the day. And uh, all of a sudden, a 50-pound bag of dog food came off the conveyor belt about 50 feet up and landed on my head. Bam. The next day, I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. Ended up going to the emergency room. Uh, followed by a bunch of doctors, MRI appointments, and the discovery that I had blown out uh, discs in L4 and L5, and and that they also discovered that I had severe spinal stenosis and uh, degenerative disc disease, and uh, surgery was in my future. Been there. So I had well, the exact same. I mean, they didn't get hit by a bag of dog food, but I had the exact same. <laughs> no, you sneezed. Diagnosis. Yeah, I sneezed. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I understand that, and then that opens a whole new. Uh, bag of worms, you know, where you have now a different chemical, right? Well, not yet. Well, oh. I, yeah, yeah. So at the same time, I think it's important to say that uh, from uh, early on in my addiction, I, w- I met this lady. Uh, she, as soon as I seen her, I was like, I'm going to marry her someday. And uh, I was so, I was so in love with her. She told me no, I think five times every time I asked her to date me. <laughs> Uh, but when I got, when I went to treatment, uh, she was actually just finishing treatment and, uh, was excited to see me. And so we got reconnected, uh, anyway, uh, one day I said, you know what, I'm going to ask her one more time and I was just going to leave it alone. Uh, well, she said yes. And I remember, uh, going out the back door, I had to get out the phone so I could go outside and hoot and holler because it was the best day of my life. And, uh, it wasn't long after that, that I got injured, uh, and and then we found out that she was pregnant, and and so I ended up having to have uh, surgery uh, uh, two days before Christmas on my back. Uh, I had to have a bilateral laminectomy in L4, L5, and uh, they prescribed me Vicodin on my way out of town. And uh, you know, like uh, I I did it exactly how the doctor said to take it. Uh, and then one day the doctor wrote a refill, and it looked like it said ten. I didn't touch it. I didn't doctor it. I didn't mess with it. Uh, but they gave me 10 refills. And uh, and at the time, I could just go in and get it. As soon as the bottle was empty, I could fill it up, right? Mm-hmm. But I was, again, I was following it, according to the doctors, one or two every four to six. Um, but then one day, uh, I was gonna, I felt this feeling. I was just like, what the heck? I was living up here in Brainerd and uh, with my wife. Oh, she wasn't my wife yet, but uh, her and uh, our kids and... Uh, working, uh, doing sales at a furniture store. And all of a sudden, one day, I just felt like everything was just the best day. I'm like, today's just the best day. What the heck, the heck's going on? And then I thought, was it from that medicine? Did I take, I only took one. Did I take it too soon? Uh, so then I thought, well, well, there's only one way to really know, right? Take another one. It says I could take one or two, so I'll just take two the next time. So what a nightmare. Yeah. Two, two it was. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm addicted to... Uh, it was beginning of my opioid addiction, which yeah. then went from Vicodin to Dr. Feelgood over in Aiken, who prescribed me morphine, lots oh, of it. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're getting to the end of time here, Brian, but, you know, this actually is a really good place to stop. I did this in my... You, right, it, but you did yours backwards. I did mine backwards because my life was backwards to yours. I, I started with the, the whole painkiller thing and then graduated to meth. Now you have this experience of starting with meth and now going to painkillers. And so what yes. we'd like to do is, uh, is, is end it here with this episode, and then we'll have you back on to share your the, opioid the, story right, and, and where that goes from there because I know there's a lot recall, left. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that brings me to the rock bottom. And the rock bottom was enough pain for me to 
to really want something different. Right. And, and, well, and then, yeah. you know, again, that that's, that, it is a very common way of doing it. And so I think what we'll do is we'll wrap up and, you know, and, and we will have you on again very soon. We will, if, if that's okay with you, <laughs> we, we, will get, we will do everything we can to get this, uh, this next couple episodes recorded very soon, because I'm sure the listeners are going to want to know the rest of the story. This cliffhanger. Yes. So, um, <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, this is very, I knew you were going to have a, 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 a big story. And so I'm, I'm glad we got through the, um, got to the meth part and uh, looking forward to um, hearing the rest. Is there anything else you want to say before we go? No, just a, uh, thanks for having me on and looking forward to uh, sharing with the listeners the rest of the story. All right. Paul Harvey puts it. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you. Working together, we can move addiction to recovery. If you would be so kind, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating, possibly a comment, but for sure click to follow us so you never miss an episode. Most importantly, don't forget to share our episode with a friend. And as always, if you would like to ask us a question, have a topic recommendation, or would even want to be a guest on our show, email us at addictiontorecoverypodcast at gmail.com. That's addiction, the number two, recoverypodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at A2R Podcast or on Facebook or Instagram at Addiction to Recovery Podcast.